Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Mandy and the F-Bomb. Hey y'all, welcome back to the F-Bomb. So today we've got Slim Thompson, and he is as cool as his name sounds. (laughs) Like, I don't (laughs) know. He is a local pastor, and if you don't go to a church where your pastor's name is Slim, Mm. like, what are you even doing? Right. So he's also <laughs> community advocate. He's a foster dad, and I'm excited to hear a little bit more about his family and his story. Thanks for coming on, man. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> Do you feel cool now? I feel so cool. I uh, knew it. I hope I can live up to that, but that's going to be a long way to go. But, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. I I really appreciate this. I would love the work that you do, you do and Thank you. advocating for this and the F-bomb. Yep. <laughs> I'm thinking about us saying that you sound cool and we sound cool. And, and then we're going to listen to this later. Uh, we were just talking earlier about how the sound of your own voice, it's <laughs> just, I mean, there goes the cool factor. I can already feel it like seeping out. Yeah. I don't like how I sound, look, you know, there's probably a lot of identity it's, There's some stuff. There's some stuff yeah. that we... Man, baggage. I need a pastor. (laughs) (laughs) Or a therapist. That's right. (laughs) So um, I want to know a little bit about your story. We've connected because of, obviously, I visited Mosaic. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Mosaic's the name of the church. And I've seen you around, and we've connected because of foster care. And then we had kids that were playing soccer, maybe not on the same team, but we saw each other because they're about the same age. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever gotten to sit down and just talk to you. Besides that time, I ambushed you at the coffee shop and was like, hey, we need to talk about. And then we did that Baylor event. Um, oh, remember yeah. Remember yeah, yeah. the, au- the really awkward Baylor event? Oh, with the, <laughs> with the panel. We did and this I was great like, panel. I'm never going to get invited back. We did this great panel that was like, I don't know, six or seven of us on the panel. And there was six or seven people in the audience. <laughs> yes. And at least two of them were related to a panelist. Right. So, <laughs> so, so we we're like, but anyways, we didn't know each other. And I, no. I, I felt like that's when we got to know each other. And so I felt yeah. like this was awesome. Cause we got to yeah. interconnect. There's no a couple other people small there too. talk or yeah. anything like that. The, the panel was about an intense subject. And so you get in there, you don't know these people and you leave and you're like, mm, there was no small talk or anything like that. We're just, now we know each other. Yeah. No, that so, was good. It was good. It's a good it was, deep dive. It it was, but again, I reiterate that we were at least I wasn't invited back. <laughs> <laughs> Nor I. It's it's cool. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about your family, man. Yeah, yeah. So we, um, uh, I have wife Kristen. We have 
three boys. Um, so one, um, ours biologically, he's Knox. He is 11. Uh, Mateo is nine, and Jordan is eight. And those two uh, we got to foster and adopt out of um, right here from McLennan County. Um, and, yeah, we, we, we've lived in Waco for almost, I think, almost 10 years now. Um, and so, but we just planted a church uh, called Mosaic uh, in uh, Waco here now. And yeah, we, our journey of foster care is critical to just our whole life outlook and some of the things we talked about on that panel and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, interracial adoption and fostering changes things. Um, <coughs> and so for us, and I don't know if this is where you want to go, but for yeah, us, um, we, once we started fostering and we had, we probably had eight kids within three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously only got to adopt two of those because the goal of foster care is reunification. Yes, and we definitely want to encourage that. Yes. And enthusiastically say that. I, yes, yes, I get yes. cringy when we don't emphasize that. That's but, right. Um, but for us, we were able to, um, once we started realizing that Jordan, who came with, to us when he was a month old, um, would stick around for longer, we started saying, we really got to make sure we're honoring where he came from because uh, Jordan is a different race. Jordan than you. is African American. So we're on a podcast. You can't see Slim, mm. but if you could see Slim, you'd see very fair skin that I'm sure burns easily. Not that fair. No, yeah, very fair. No, totally fair. <laughs> um, and he's got blue eyes, and honestly, he he kind of looks like my husband, who is fair and blue eyes and Caucasian. So, mm-hmm. so we're talking about how he and his wife, who is also yeah. Caucasian, yeah. Um, adopted children that were of different races, and it started with Jordan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Jordan came. Um, he's second um, uh, placement we had, and, yeah, he came when he was a month old, and we just we started realizing this is going to be a long-term thing. Mm-hmm. And um, while we're doing that, we just started saying we need to start re-educating ourselves and um, also exposing ourselves to different, uh, different ways of thinking. So we made sure we had different uh, people of color over at our house, for dinner and just try to be intentional about making those relationships and friendships. In that process, we had, I remember specifically one lady saying to us, make sure you have the talk with him. And I was like, okay, yeah, we'll definitely have the sex talk with him at some point. And not what she meant. And not what she meant. And <coughs> she's like, no, when, you know, how to act around the police. And that was just a, I realized I'm just, I'm not talking on the same plane right now when we mm. talk about the talk. And so that, to me, was an eye-opener that said, we really got to do a lot more work. And so we started reading a lot more books by men and women of color and uh, making sure we were, you know, educating ourselves as much as possible. And in that process, it almost felt like, you know, I'm a pastor, so I'll make some pastoral references. Paul with the scales falling from his eyes. It felt like we had this, you know, what we call you know, blindness, what people now talk about becoming woke, which is now becoming, you know, more of a... A slur, but anyways, um, you're, you're coming aware to your blind spots, mm-hmm. and one of those blind spots for us was on this issue of race, and so that just woke us up to. Um, and that'll some, do that whenever it's about your own child, and so that, and that's why I say I yeah. think it's to my shame that it I had to mm-hmm. go through. Not it's not shameful to do foster care; it's good, no. good, beautiful yeah. thing. But it's to my shame that this is what had to do it for me to actually care. You know, yeah. Listen, and you carry your feelings however you want to feel them, but sometimes. When you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. And I feel the same way. I feel that way about the race stuff 
because and there is some intentionality about it. Like once you are aware that there is some stuff going on, then it's on you to <laughs> to figure out what you need to do about it and learn about it. Yeah. But I feel the same way about foster care. There are some really wonderful people out there mm. um, that just don't know what they don't know. And so they're not going, I don't care about this issue. I don't care about these kids. Right. They're just walking around blind. And yeah. so I hear you, but also, but and I'm going to go there because you're a pastor. God doesn't work in shame, dude. No. No. No, no not at all. So, <laughs> so maybe. Thank you. Thank might, you. Preach the gospel to me. <laughs> might want to dig into that a little bit. Because I don't believe that that's, Pastors where the, that's coming the from. The gospel too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, no. It's it's more just I'm trying to make it clear that it's, yeah, this is this is something that we, we needed to deal with. Yeah. Um, and so we, we started going through there. And um, yeah, and to that point, we started making some changes and we started saying, let's try to be intentional about where we live, where we go to school, mm-hmm. um, so that they're not always the the outlier. Um, and that's not for everyone, but for us, we felt like mm-hmm. that was important. Um, and so anyways, then we, that was in also integral into how we wanted to plant our church uh, mm-hmm. and start our church to be and intentionally And even the name of the church, right? Yeah, so a mosaic. And sometimes people were like, so like the mosaic law, we're like, no, 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 no. Like think of an art piece, you know, all these different pieces coming together to make something more beautiful. And so that's what mm-hmm. we want the church to be is just people from different cultures coming together. And I think <laughs> especially in, in, in today's day, like when everything is so polarly divided and when people are, you know, churches are becoming more and more divided. Um, I think it's really hard for an onlooker to look at a church and go like, do you really believe this stuff you're talking about? Yeah. And I think when you see groups coming together mm-hmm. um, that do have differences, mm-hmm. uh, but that are united by the blood of Christ, then they go, oh, maybe you do believe this. Mm-hmm. So whether you're a Christian or not, listen to this podcast. I think you, if you hear the church saying they believe these things, you actually want to see it happen. That's and right. And we talked about that. Like, I know I, I did. We joke about me ambushing him at a coffee shop, but I totally <laughs> did. And one of the things I said, because I believe it, is that... Um, it's not just what pastors, and, and not you, I wasn't picking on you, but it's not just what you say. Um, people are looking at what you're doing. Right. And whether you're a pastor or whether whatever position of leadership you're in, mm-hmm. it's one thing to say, yeah, we totally believe this, and this organization or church or business or group is behind this thing. But yeah. if it's just the the underlings kind of doing that and not the leader, that speaks volumes. And yeah. But what I think is that, and what I appreciate about about you and your situation is that in your position position of leadership, which happens to be a pastor, um, people can look at you and wa- watch you walking the walk. You don't talk about um, just serving others. I see you do it. You don't talk about caring for people that need help. I see you advocating for foster care and for people that are at a disadvantage sometimes. Um, so, and I think that's important in, in all positions of leadership to be able to kind of walk that walk as well. And I think that you, you and you and Kristen do it really well. Okay. So you started fostering somewhere in there. Um, y'all, y'all decided to do a church plant as well. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's a little bit harder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. No, it's cool. Like yeah. started a nonprofit with six kids, man. Like, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> this is the way we live. Things are light. Yeah. Let's yeah. make it lighter. Yeah, yeah we, we we talk about that. We're like, are we just impulsive people doing these things so quickly? And uh, I mean, on one level, I think it's more convictional on these things. But yeah, we take our take our long time to change on other th- other topics and things. I mean, <laughs> but then things work out, right? 
We hope, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and I think that's why I appreciate about your your podcast and that you guys are honest about you know foster care is hard. Um, and so I think what we want we what we for us when we were at when we were at church before, seeing other foster parents made us go, oh, it's doable. And so I do think there's a power, and as we talked about a little earlier about sharing stories and and like seeing that happen makes people visualize and go, okay, it's not just this ethereal thing that like super saints do you're like oh that's you know bob uh and he's kind of a jerk but he's doing this <laughs> whatever it may be i know it's a terrible story or that analogy but i think there is power and i think so for us we saw that and it was powerful and so i think since starting uh, mosaic it seems like there's quite a bit of foster families that have have, have jumped mm-hmm. in as well absolutely and i think that's spurring on more and we're hearing more people saying hey want to jump into it and mm-hmm. and i think there is because you can see it and you go okay even as Slim, the pastor who's doing it, and you, there's an, a temptation to elevate those in leadership as being on a pedestal. But as you just preach the gospel to me, and <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fall and stumble and, and, and trip. And so I need that as well. And so I think there is just a, there's a beauty um, in seeing it happen. Uh, and so I think it's been powerful, and I think it, it'll continue to probably to do that in a church. I hope so. And I hope in, in kind of all walks that it's the storytelling, I think, that brings people in, which is why which is why we do this, this mm. podcast is storytelling is powerful. And mm. I think that it's, whether it's storytelling and kind of learning your history or storytelling um, to bring people into a situation, it's that emotional, like it has the, oppor- you get the opportunity to create emotional buy-in, mm. which can yeah. spur people to action. And we've said before on this podcast, like, not everybody needs to be spurred on to action to be a foster parent. Right. There are so many other things. So, yeah. And I so think go ahead, go ahead, go uh, ahead. I, I I heard this on another podcast. Um, and I don't know what it won, so I'll just claim it as my own idea. Um, so what I believe <laughs> <laughs> is that if Jesus were alive today, he would be a um a movie producer. Because when he was around, he was always speaking in parables and in telling stories. And I love that. the best way to tell stories, if it's not a podcast, although this is becoming more, you know, a, a, seems to be a, a better medium, but sto- movies and shows and things like that are, are telling stories that disarm people to actually go, oh, now there's a lot of baggage with uh, Christian movies that I pretty much loathe most of them. Um, so I'm not I'm advocating for that, but I do think if you can tell this powerful story of, you know, you know, joy and pain and, and mm-hmm. grief and, you know, sorrow, but amidst all the beauty, you know, people coming together and, mm-hmm. you know, families um, reuniting. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think there is some power there. That And that is absolutely a powerful story. Tell me, so you said you, you guys have fostered eight kiddos um, and your son Jordan was your second placement. Mm-hmm. You started re-educating yourself and un- starting to seek understanding for people who were different than you. Started a church mm-hmm. um, to further kind of that along as well. Yeah. So when did M- Mateo come? Yeah, Mateo came. Um, we we actually uh, had a placement. Um, a little baby girl um, who came to us when she was at maybe two days old. Um, we, we got her from the hospital um, until she was nine months old. And so she, we felt like, you know, it's really hard. And I think I can't remember you have a great phrase about like get attached. Yeah, um, you got to get too attached. Yeah. And I think that 
So, you know, at some level you're like, oh, I don't, I'm scared to do so. But yeah, you just, you get attached. And I think it's mm-hmm. good that you get attached. Mm-hmm. The kids deserve it. Um, but then she went to family. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, that's like a success in foster care, right? Yeah. U- reunification. But at that point, our hearts were just so broken. We're like, oh, I think we're done. We told our agency, mm-hmm. I think we're done. <laughs> we need some time. And then like three weeks later, they called. They said, we know you said you're done, but <laughs> there's this boy who's three and parental rights have been terminated. So you just, he's yours if you guys are willing. And for uh, folks who are considering foster care, um, there's a, there's that period of you go like, well, I, the goal is reunification. So the goal isn't, mm-hmm. you know, straight adoption. And so. But a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, and that's where it's like, no, like that's, and especially after hearing parents' stories and hearing, you know, how they've gotten to the point where they've, where this, this has happened, you really, you feel for them. Uh, mm-hmm. But for this, this was like kind of the opposite end of that spectrum where it was just straight adoption um, mm-hmm. through, through um, CPS. And, we just said, mm, okay, we'll do it. And mm-hmm. it was kind of scary because you're like, I've never met this child and mm-hmm. <laughs> they'll be here forever. And mm-hmm. um, and so he came to us when he was three and a half. And um, he, because he's, he was, I mean, that's not that old, but because he was at his age, mm-hmm. he had experienced more loss, more trauma. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as we talk about how hard foster care is, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We're, we're, we're still dealing with it and working through that with yeah, him. Yeah, man, people from hard places have hard behavior sometimes, yeah. and that goes for children yeah. or adults. You experience trauma, and yeah. your brain wants to do everything it can to protect you mm-hmm. and make sure that that situation never happens again. So it'll kick on, and your fight or flight, mm. man, that is a hard thing to come up against, and for adults even, but I can't imagine for kids. and. Yeah. And, so. we're, and we're, I mean, my, my wife um, is reading more on the physical effects of trauma that, mm-hmm. you know, we, I, I can think mentally, emotionally, kind of empathetically yeah. about it. Um, but then there's times when, you know, Mateo will act out um, in the same way that he's acted out for the last two, three years yeah. um, that I just, I, I, you know, get angry at it, lose, you know, lose mm-hmm. my temper. And I, I lose any sort of empathy for where he came from. And yeah. you know, the phrase that hurt people hurt people. Yeah. I forget that completely mm-hmm. as well as, you know, why is he, you know, continuing to, to stay o- up all night? Like, what is it about that? What is it about wanting to go downstairs and steal food from our, our fridge or from yeah. our pantry? And when you remove yourself from that situation, you know exactly what it is, yeah. you know, exactly 
why he has these behaviors, but yeah, you're and so human. It's, yeah, and so you're so you forget these things, and then you get reminded. You go okay, and it's almost like a reset, but then it happens again and again and again. And anyway, so I'm I'm starting. We're, she's starting to read about more like the, the actual like because of the trauma, your body is actually saying it needs this, not just yeah. psychologically or which is also physically, but like there's something about them that is is crying mm-hmm. out for this. Um, and so yeah, I think it just gives you more reason to go like okay. I you know, understand where someone's coming from. Mm-hmm. There, by the grace of God, go I. If I was in that position, I would definitely be doing that too. <laughs> right? That's right. When you never know how trauma is going to affect people. And so is she reading The Body Keeps the Score? Yep. Yeah. Such a good book. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> yes, and, and not only for, for my kids, because I've, um, I've got three that we've already adopted and one – I, I kind of I tend to lump her in because I know her case is heading towards adoption, um, but she is not adopted yet. Mm. Um, and even though they were placed with us as infants, um, you know, there's trauma there. There's, and you can read you can read stories and studies and books um, mm. that tells you even if um, a baby is removed at birth. Um, there is, there can be trauma in the wound, womb that like creates different neuropathways and the way your body functions under stress. And there's so many factors that go into how a human behaves later mm. that I think we don't know and we're learning about. So I love that you and Kristen are digging into that. And what, what we're seeing um, with some of our kids as well, you'd think that because they were placed with us as infants and I know their whole story and they've never had any trauma besides removal and a couple of them had two placements we were their second placement Mm. um they don't remember but if you can imagine as a baby all you your whole goal is to get attached to someone that's that is it that's what babies do and it helps them regulate their temperature and regulate their breathing and their heartbeat and that is their goal is to Learn how to be a person by attaching to someone. Mm. And so that removal creates trauma. Mm. So anyway, all that to say, we see behaviors in our children um, that, quote unquote, you know, don't have any trauma, but they they absolutely do. Right. So just learning that is super helpful. And I'm sure Mateo is going to benefit greatly Mm -hmm. um, from that. So we talked a little bit about um, the goal of foster care being reunification and get too attached and <laughs> how it was hard on y'all whenever baby girl went home. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. I, I, what I've seen sometimes is that there is um, a perpetuation of the idea that foster care is a cheap way to yeah. add to your family. Yeah. Um, is that something that you guys have maybe not experienced yourself, but have had to kind of had some, have some talks with, People thinking about foster care. What's interesting is I, th- I think uh, going into foster care. Um, so for us, what what uh, brought us into it was we read. Uh, c- my wife, uh, Kristen, read this book called A Child Called It uh, by Dave Pelzer, and uh, and so if you haven't read it, I highly encourage you to read it. Um, slowly. slowly, it's it's a, it's a book it's that a you will book. need to put down and digest, and then come back and to. You got to find something happy to do in between chapters. Right. Yeah, so she read that when she was in eighth grade. Um, she gave it to me. We were dating in high school when I was a senior and that she's is a junior. So freaking cute. <laughs> and she said, if I'm going to be a pastor's wife, 
you're going to do foster care. And I was like, okay. So I was like, she's like, read this book. And so this is in high school. You guys. Oh my gosh. Which, yeah, she, she was trying to, she was fearful of the the stereotype of what a pastor's wife should be and, and needs to be or whatever. And so she's, she's bucking that trend, but she handed me the book. I knew I liked her. Right. <laughs> and so I read it and yeah, it's just, it's such an, a hard book. It's an emotional, you know, roller coaster that at the end you just read the story of the abuse he receives. Um, and you just go, this can't be like someone needs to step in. Kind of when you just have like, once you know, you can't unknow. And so I think once you read that, you're like, of course I have to do something, right? Yeah. You feel compelled. And so we, I was like, yeah. And so we got, um, I went to did seminary in North Carolina. We got licensed by CPS out there, but then got a call to come back here to Waco. Got relicensed, and that's when it started for us. Um, and so our, our, our whole thought was just like, let's just care for these kids. And so it was reunification, reunification, reunification. It was mm-hmm. that. Um, and if a child needed a permanent home we said absolutely well you know you get attached and you're like absolutely Mm -hmm. but um wasn't until we um started to to meet birth moms um and and hear some um people from that have had kids taken um and their their um perception of foster parents as being going for the uh, the cheap way of getting a kid Mm -hmm. um and maybe skeptically looking at foster parents when we were just, Hey, we're all, we're just trying to help, trying to, trying to yeah. love, love kids and families. And, and so we were, it was almost, a, you know, another blinders falling off. It was more of just like another, a wake up call. Like, Oh, there are people that are maybe coming in here with, with wrong motives. And, and then, and so there are some that may have mixed motives and then there are those yeah. who, or maybe they have good motives, but others are seeing them as with wrong motives. Mm-hmm. And so it just, it woke us up to go and, we need to be careful and wise with how we speak about this. Yes. I would also say that there are really great people that are, um, that have unrealistic expectations of what foster care is. Mm. So mm. I think sometimes people with really great motives, intentions, look at foster care and what they see is or maybe their knee-jerk assumption is on the outside looking in this the at the its simplest form foster care exists because the children were in an unsafe dangerous environment that was concerning enough for a government agency to come in and remove those children from whosever care they were in whether Mm -hmm. it's birth parents or grandparents or whatever but that's that's it in its simplest form is foster care exists to keep kids safe mm-hmm. and remove them from a dangerous situation and put them in a safe situation for however long that that takes. Right. Um, so I think it is reasonable, not not right all the time, but reasonable for people who are unaware of what foster care is and the intricacies mm. of the stories of mm. of birth parents um, to come in and go, birth parents equal dangerous bad villains. Yeah, and I think that's human nature right. to want to come in and go. These kids need protection. Well, protection from what? Mm-hmm. So, and on the one hand, I think that that can be a really 
that's a good instinct to have is I want to protect these kids and that's, that's good. But I think um, what happens is whenever people have unrealistic expectations and don't know kind of some of the stories that birth parents are living out, Mm. it creates this, what we were talking about earlier, this other and this like division um, that doesn't necessarily have to be there. And I think sometimes also if you go in and um, you think my goal is to rescue these kids from what? Right, like right. It, there's got to be a villain. Yeah. So rescue these kids and keep them safe. Yeah. Um, if you're unwilling to change your perspective yeah. and learn about somebody else's story, um, then I think you're going to stay in, mm-hmm. in that place mm-hmm. of being unaware and um, othering yourself from someone. So I... Yeah, there's, I mean, th- this, I don't know, I don't get you in trouble or me in trouble, but uh, <laughs> Tell me. there's a lot of, and I, I see this, I mean, I see this in many, many circles that, I, that I'm in. There's a lot of saviorism um, in foster care, in the church, um, uh-huh. in church planting. and Oh, we're um, going to go there. Right. I'm happy to go there. <laughs> and so, okay, to expand on what I was saying earlier, because I was trying to be a little bit more delicate, but I'll just... <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm going to say this because, like, I'm a Christ follower. You know, a lot of times it's the church where we go in and we're like, we want to save. Right. But sometimes these kids, they need a safe place. But we forget that their parents, yeah. they need some help, too. Right. And so I'm going to tell you, let me tell you about what happened. You oh, man, this. So um, whenever we got into foster care. Um, it was to to serve in some way. Um, and so we knew that, it's a long story short, but we knew going into foster care that probably loving the kids wouldn't be too much of a challenge. Okay. We, okay. Yeah. Um, we knew that we were going to be fostering younger kiddos. Um, that was what would work for our family. So we were like, okay. like We knew that that wouldn't be much of a challenge, but we knew also that loving their their parents mm. that that would be the part that would sharpen us and mm. and not just us me and my husband it was an intentional decision that we made because we felt like we were raising our kids in a bubble mm. and my husband and I come from very different backgrounds um he comes from very stable family like both of his grandparents reached their like 50th wedding anniversary <laughs> and his parents are still married and you know at, in every single way, yeah. it was a stable environment, and my childhood was not yeah. not exactly like that. So um, it was important to me that my kids saw all aspects mm. of what life can look like for mm. other people. Because I feel like, and y'all are going to get sick of me saying this on this podcast, but I'm going to say it again. I feel like compassion is like a muscle. Mm. If you want it to grow, you got to work it out. Mm. So... For our kids, we wanted them to grow their compassion muscle. Mm. Getting into foster care, we knew that they were going to be exposed to things that that were hard. Yeah. So because of foster care, they have been, and it's been trafficking, and it's been addiction and abuse and poverty and just being at a disadvantage and mm. people making really hard decisions that aren't safe. Mm. And so our kids have had to chew on that and work that out and... Hopefully, and I'm going to say they they have come to this conclusion because I've heard them 
and how they speak, but that bad decisions don't always equal bad people. Yeah, yeah. So all that to say, um, I thought I had a good handle mm. because of my background mm. on giving people the benefit of the doubt whenever they're in hard situations. I know everyone has a story. Yeah. But whenever we received our first placement, um, mom was dangerous. Um, she was at a at a place where it wasn't safe um, yeah. for her to kind of be alone with kiddos. And, yeah. and, and, you know, she was just deep in her addiction. She was having a hard time. But on paper, her and I were two sides of the same coin. We had similar backgrounds. Mm. Um, we were the same age. And I remember just being so irritated, so frustrated. Like, why doesn't she just make better choices? Mm. And for me, I was going, well, I came from hard stuff and I made better choices. Why? Mm-hmm. And I was frustrated and not frustrated like condemnation, but frustrated because I wanted better for her. Yeah. And it wasn't until later on, um, geez, and this is so cliche, but this is exactly what happened. You know that song, um, In the Eye of the Storm? Mm -hmm. And there's a part that goes, um, when addiction steals my baby girl. Mm. And it's told from the perspective of a father, but I swear to you, God thumped me on my head and went, hey, she's my baby girl. Addiction stole my baby girl. This isn't what I wanted for her life. And mm. I was like, oh, <laughs> man. Yeah. Man. And it was just so convicting. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, I I got some work to do as well. All that to say, we've got to shift our perspective. And, and not everybody has um, a moment at first going into foster care yeah. where they... They reach that, but I think eventually it comes for yeah. all of us. Yeah, I mean, so knowing, knowing that 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 woman, any 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 of these these parents that that do lose child lose children over uh, addiction, substance abuse, um, and and more talking about that in specific, knowing that they alcohol and drugs are the uh, ways they're medicating. Yep. The pain, not. Um, that they're trying to choose to just give up on life. It is they 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 have had stuff hit them hard uh, on some level or whatnot. That it gives you an opportunity to go like, oh, well, I medicate it maybe differently with mm-hmm. sugar, <laughs> with Netflix, with and maybe some of the other things as well, right? And so I think that's where I think we go, yeah, there. But by the grace of God, go I. And I think that's where we can go like, yeah, f- I'm a couple decisions away from making that same choice. Oh, I say the same thing. Like I am. We all are, I think, about three. So if we want, hard if we want someone to give us grace, yeah, away from being exactly where someone else is. Yeah. So if we want someone so. to give us grace, then we need to give them as well. Yeah, the kids need some help, but I think we lose sight because the the parents are adults now. That maybe whenever they were kids, they needed help too. Yeah. And um, so if we can come in from a perspective of. Um, I would say open-mindedness and curiosity mm-hmm. about their stories. Um, maybe instead of this us versus them yeah. thing, we can help them understand if we can get there, if we can get there and if it's real, that we're all on the same team. Yes. We are on kids being safe team. Yeah. And that's I think it goes into what you were talking about before. Save from what? And I think we come in and we say with our savior complex that we will save them from the 
the enemy, which is the parents in this situation, versus the situation that yeah. the, that their kids are in because the kids want to go back to the parents, That's no right. matter how bad it has been. And you, you always see that. Now we could say, you know, there's some there's some stuff there, but like they want to go back, and we say reunification is the goal because that's where they were intended to be. Now there's times when it, it doesn't work out that way, but the goal is that because we would say, I think we want to come in with not with a scarcity mindset, but an abundance mindset that like the parents, there's hope there for them to change. And so if we ever want someone to give us like hope for change, mm-hmm. we want someone to come in and be like, Hey, I'm not going to assume like the worst about That's you. Right. I want to assume the best. And I also want to, I want to see you grow because we're not finished products. And so we want to hope the best for these parents mm-hmm. and maybe a lot longer journey for them. Yep. But, but the way, one way, if, if you're willing to make them, to set them up for success is to let them know that you are not the enemy, yeah. that you want success for them, that you want what is best for them. And right. it's hard. And, and in not every situation does that work out. Um, some situations, it's just not possible to have a productive and um, safe relationships right. with, with parents because of their own stuff that they're going through. And I totally get that. So let's just put that out there. We know that there are extreme cases on either side of the spectrum, but we're talking kind of the majority of the cases in the middle. There can be some common ground. And if you're looking for common ground, the common ground is the kids. So if we go in and we don't other people and we come at it with a perspective of curiosity and a willingness to understand, um, Perhaps what we would see in some parents who have um, these defenses up because they have a really reasonable but maybe um, misguided perception of foster parents and their motives. Yeah. Maybe we can aid in their success. Yeah. By making sure that they know that we're on their team, and that I'm, we're on Team Kid. Yes. And I think foster parents, maybe those listening to the podcast, I think we all, myself included, if we go back into fostering, we're closed now, but we all need to check our motives and ask that question. Mm. Am I on this? Am I in this for the kids or am I in it for them to join our family? So even when we say we're there for foster to adopt, is it really just to adopt? That's right. And so are we actually excited? And I, it, it, yeah. You get attached. Is it? Yes, it's sad when when it, when a kid mm-hmm. leaves, but also it's like this is the goal. This is it this is, is the goal. This is the, like this is a, a success. This is a win. That's right. And we gotta win. You know, celebrate those wins mm-hmm. when that happens. That's not, right. Not bemoan them. And I, but I get that it's hard. Cause it is hard because we love them so much. Exactly. Well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that I kind of came to the realization of, and it's a little bit of a a harsh realization, but I think that it's true. Um, I think people, me even, um, the, the fear going into foster care for a lot of people, like you said, is, but they might leave, mm-hmm. but I'll get too attached and it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comes from this false sense of security that if you have biological children, that they can't be taken from you. Mm. The thing is, we're not promised tomorrow with our children, period. Mm. Mm-hmm. Whether they are biological or adopted or foster, yeah. we're not promised tomorrow with our kids. And I know that's a hard way to look at things, but that's the truth. Just because they are ours biologically does not mean 
that we get them forever. Right. And so I think that nor if do you... We, nor do we get them forever anyways. I don't get them anyway, yeah. but like you, you don't know what happens yeah. in the span of a childhood. Um, and you don't want to think about stuff like that. But I think um, there is this kind of false sense of security because that's a maybe it'll happen. But the thing is, maybe it'll happen in foster care. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there is um, a, a calling, if you're going to listen to it, to stand in the gap in whatever way is your right way to stand in the gap for people. And so for us, it was foster care and then it was uh, different ways of standing in the gap. And right now it's this podcast you find your way to stand in the gap. Mm. And so I think that if we kind of look at it that way um, and not what am I going to gain from it, yeah, um, that's kind of where we need to be is what, what's your way to stand in the gap? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is um, there's a guy named Jason Johnson, right? You've, you've oh, yeah. know him. Okay. So he did the illustration and I'm sure he's taken it from someone else as well, but the illustration of you come up to a river and there's all these babies floating down the river and he's like foster parents are the ones that just want to jump in and you know, just, you know, help and just mm-hmm. you know, help these babies. Um, but I think his illustration was, okay, that's one way of getting in the gap. Um, mm-hmm. Another way is asking, you know, like, wait, some of these kids are going over the cliff. What do we do with them? And that's, that's when mm-hmm. kids are going to the prison system and things like mm-hmm. that. And you go like, how can we, you know, love and care there? And then another way of staying in the gap is going, well, why are these kids in the system in the first mm-hmm. place? And that's when you right. go to kind of structural systemic issues yep. and you think about policies and things like that. Um, and then there's the ways of helping helping the parents who are the foster parents who are jumping in, whether it's, you know, mm-hmm. sitting and things like that and getting licensed and all of the, you know, <laughs> all, all of the things, all the things to love foster parents. Well, there's a lot of different ways to jump in. Um, and I think that's can be overwhelming, but also encouraging that I think not everyone's called to be a foster parent, but I think everyone should love and care for these kids in some way. And I think that's, mm-hmm. there's opportunities there. There's everywhere. And um, one of the things I had said um, not too long ago, I don't know exactly how I said it, but it's every little thing. Every little thing matters. Um, and so if we have a lot of people that are going, well, there's just, the thing that I can contribute is too small. Mm. Well, if you wait for the thing that you want to contribute to be enough to mm. change the course mm. of foster <laughs> care, you're just going to be waiting forever <laughs> because individually we're not enough. Yeah. But if we all do our thing, no yeah. matter how minuscule we think it is, we can be yeah. enough together. Yeah. So that's good. That's kind of what I think. That's pretty good. All right. Okay. <laughs> well, before, before I let you get out of here, cause I know you've got some, some cool thing after this. Um, <laughs> Parent teacher <laughs> conferences. That's so cool. <laughs> so listen, we're maintaining our cool status. Right. Your right. name is Slim Thompson. Come on. Going clubbing later. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> okay. I want to know, um, what was your F-bomb moment? When did you know that because of foster care, your life was never going to be the same again? Mm. That would probably be our first child that came to us and just said, oh, this is, she's so precious. It's going to be hard to say goodbye. And she went three months later, celebration, yay, win moment. But it was like, whew, like we got, we're doing this more. We're, we, we've got to, you know, we want to jump in. Um, and so, you know, forever, I realized our forever our life was changed then. And then I think it got expounded when we talked about with, with, with Jordan, who um, then our eyes and scales fell from our eyes with mm-hmm. things on race and things like this. And so she said, whew, yeah, we're different people than we are. And that's a good thing. 
That's a good thing. Yeah. And we should always be changing yes, and sir. growing. Amen. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, Amanda. Thank you so much. Pre- appreciate you having us on, uh, me on, and love to support you in more and more ways we can. Thank you. All right, y'all. Have a good one. Mandy and the F-Bomb is produced by Rogue Media. Make sure to like and follow us on social media, and you can find our show anywhere you get podcasts or at roguemedianetwork.com. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. 